the whole point of the long tail is how technology has allowed value to be created in smaller increments. So they're limited. So they have to make their money on the big hits. And then what happened was, whether that, that be Apple or Netflix right. or all these different technologies that have come out and said, no, we can actually make money from the long tail. All these things that we can put into the technology store, if you will, and allow us to do things in different ways. And now actually, you know, it'd be a whole economy around smaller bite-sized demand items. Your network is your net worth. Come listen to some of the most successful people I know. Share invaluable knowledge, stories, and advice in real estate, business, and beyond. This is Weiss Advice. Whether you want to take your business or personal life to the next level, look no further. Welcome back to another episode of Weiss Advice. I am excited to be here with Chad Gallagher today. This is your host, Yona Weiss, as always. And it's just a beautiful day. And Chad is making the day even brighter. So great to see you. It's been a while since we last connected, but great to have you on the show. Yeah, man. This is awesome. It is a beautiful day where I am as well. Probably the other side of the world. But uh, yeah, man. Awesome stuff going on. And every day is a new adventure. So it's always exciting. 100%. And we first connected when Chad was running a, a meetup in Western Pennsylvania. Well, not Western, I guess Central Pennsylvania, right? Central, Central Lebanon. Yeah, yeah. I drove all the way to Lebanon and that was <laughs> Lebanon, Pennsylvania. Yeah, the town, not the country. Exactly. That was a lot of fun. That was many, many years ago. And now since then, you have founded or co-founded a company, which I'd love to get into and learn more about called Home 365 you're a property manager, real estate investor, a lot of things. I'd love for you to just give us a little bit of background and, and how you got started. Yeah, sure. So, I mean, I, you know, to kind of go all the way back, my parents were school teachers. So, you know, I think I start there just to say anyone can change their life through real estate. I wasn't, you know, born into some family that had figured this thing out. And, you know, so about 10 years ago, I decided to buy a single family home, one property I thought I'd buy maybe a couple over my life. And after closing, I'll never forget, I couldn't sleep that night. And I literally just couldn't sleep. And I got up and I just went straight to the computer and I got in the MLS and I started trying to find more properties. And I, you know, I just, I really got addicted to the competitive nature of real estate. I got addicted to the, just so many ways to win such a massive market. My best friend decided to kind of come in on the journey with me, which made it much more enjoyable. And so we just started buying all sorts of weird stuff. We'd go to a tax sale and we'd buy a house for $5,000 and then fix it up and, and kind of refi it. And it was like, whoa, we just refied this and got all our money back. Like, this is crazy. How does this even work? And then also we realized we had to manage these things somehow. Wow. You know, we had no, there was no book on property management. I guess now there is, but there wasn't back then. And so, you know, we were accepting cash from people and, you know, Excel documents. And, you know, we really learned it the hard way. And what happened was I just started to grow our portfolio. We said, man, we need to hire Probably. a management company. So we looked into that. And I have a, my degrees in engineering, like their co-founders' backgrounds in math. And so we were looking for someone that, that really kind of bought into tech. And then we were like, whoa, this is a really old school industry. Much like, frankly, I still think much of real estate is kind of old school. And so then we decided to say, hey, I wonder if some of our friends right. might want to work with guys sure. who are like pretty fast at adopting tech. And turns out all our friends had the same property management problem we did. So we opened up a property management company. And I thought that would basically help the investing side. As I think many people do this, I think many people have some kind of property management or operations arm that actually supports a, a bigger vision 
of investing or equity growth or whatever. Right. Sure. Well, a lot of times it comes, you know, from one side, one way or the other, yep. meaning you start with property management and then go to investing or you start with investing and then try to bring property management in-house. Yeah. Yeah. And so scale. we decided to, we got about a year or two in and the management was really growing. We said, what if we made a paradigm shift here and we were to, instead of 80% of our time we spent on investing and 20% on management, what if we were to go all in on management and still invest? Let's spend maybe 10% of our time investing and see what we learn from data and, and make some investments on the side, but really go all in on the management side. I'm not sure that was the right call, just to be super clear. <laughs> I would not necessarily recommend mm -hmm. this path for callers because it was really hard. And I think we maybe could have had an easier path on the investing side, but no regrets. You make a decision and you run with it. And yeah, you know, fast forward now, right around COVID, we were managing about 5,000 units across four states, had about 100 employees. And then we made our next pivot, which was we were kind of adopting technology aggressively and that was helping us grow but we didn't own tech. We didn't have our own engineering team. And so we, we decided to actually merge with a full-blown technology company that has been spending five to 10 years just building out technology, headquartered in Israel, companies called Home365. We now manage properties in, I think, seven states, growing quickly, you know, mid-Atlantic, a big footprint in kind of Pennsylvania and New Jersey and Maryland, Virginia, but now have offices also in Chicago, Detroit, Las Vegas, Atlanta, adding Cleveland and St. Louis. And so every month we add a new city. It's super exciting because we own our own tech. We kind of control our own platform, unlike kind of licensing app folio. And then the last innovative thing we did was, you know, people on this show often talk about getting into real estate. It's passive. When I give speeches, I really want to be provocative. I'll put a slide up that says real estate's not passive. And it's a bit of a, a dream killer, right? You're getting into real estate for passive income, but is it passive? It's not really today. Right. Yeah. At least now, if you invest passively in maybe a syndication and you're, you know, that's right. different. But I mean, like if you're like as a limited partner, exactly. But if you're truly owning a property, a single family home somewhere in the United States, and in particular, if you want to own five, 10, 15, it's not a passive venture, at least today. And so we said, what if we could make it passive, make it predictable? So we rolled out, I think, the first time anywhere in the country this has been offered, what we call one rate, which combines property management, leasing, repairs, and vacancy all into one price. So it basically says, we'll take the risk of vacancy. We'll take the risk of repairs. You won't pay those. So if a property wow. goes vacant, you still get paid like normal. If there's a plumbing issue, we take care of it. You don't even hear from us. You just get paid. And so it, it turns real estate, make it look a little bit more like a bond. But more important is it takes investors and gives them their life back, takes away the stress of investing. So that's been super exciting and novel. And you know, I love innovation. And I love thinking of better ways to do things. I think we've hit on something here that that is ripe. And yeah, that's that's what we're up to right now. It sounds, you know, like something that is necessary, especially like you prefaced earlier on when you started with this industry is very archaic. There's so much technology that is being adopted on a daily basis, but that's only because there's so much of a lack. And there has been such a lack. And so the industry is catching up slowly. And so I think there's a huge amount of room left to grow and left to innovate. So something I'm interested in learning more about this, specifically what you guys are doing, is it something that's specifically for residential properties, single families, or is this, you have the capabilities for like multifamily or a large multifamily at all? Yeah, good question. So we don't do big multifamily. So we're not going to go, you know, this is not for that 200 unit apartment complex. This is meant more for the 
two unit, five unit, lots of single family homes, 10 unit building, 20 unit building. That's more what it's designed for. We do manage some larger buildings, but we're not, you know, that 300 unit complex that has three people on site. It's kind of its own thing, right? In many regards, I think it has its own problems, but because you can have a bunch of people on site, it actually makes it, I think, easier on the operation side. Right. If you have someone on site, yeah. And it lends, it's interesting because usually, you know, what you hear is like properties over, you know, like 50, 60, 70 units, you can already pay to have someone on site, but under that, it really doesn't. So it sounds like you're, the niche you have really does cater to those smaller properties. That's right. Where we think about it, logistics is the biggest issue in property management. It's kind of a weird, mm-hmm. weird thing to think about, right? <laughs> but in particular, scatter site property management. If you, you know, right. if you own a portfolio, let's say you own 10 single family homes and those single family homes are, are scattered. They're not together. They're right. all in different places. Logistics is actually really important. Like, you know, the act of leasing a unit is really the act of part of its marketing. The other part is like getting someone to get to the unit at the same time somebody else wants to be there, mm-hmm. getting the locks changed, getting the contractor out to make sure the unit gets turned. It's all logistics. That's really what it is. And and so at big scale, we look a lot like a logistics company, actually, of just how do you get people where they should be so that the investor who sits, you know, we have investors literally all over the world, Japan and China, a ton in Israel. You know, those guys, look, they're not, they're obviously not local. They're not anywhere near the property. They don't want to be near the property. They might not even ever see the property, which is fine. Uh And so it's our job to kind of run that logistics so that they don't have to see it. They don't have to go there. And then we can basically mitigate risk around around the property. Yeah. And they essentially want to be as hands-off as possible. Like you said, they want it to be as passive as possible. It just ends up being, for most people, single family investing, whatever it is, real estate investing is not passive. You're going to have right the tenants and the toilets and the termites and all those you know horrible teas that we deal with. It sounds like what you guys are doing is a, a solution for that. That's the goal. And it's interesting you mentioned like, why was tech so late to get into real estate? I think that's a lot. And I actually think there's two real reasons that come to my mind. The first is there's so much money to be made on the equity side of real estate that I think the smartest people in real estate are just prone naturally to go into making money on the equity front, acquiring properties, syndicating properties, putting their partnerships, and that building out these whether they be operational companies or companies like your own or tech companies, I actually think it's a harder road to go down. And so because of that, I think most of the talent sits on the kind of equity front. That's problem one. And then the second problem is people who really understand real estate, like truly understand the guts of it, just kind of think about just like what that persona looks like. Yeah, go to your average meetup. These are like usually hand, either handy people or... Yeah, you have to learn that. Even if you're not, you have to, if you want to be able to do real estate, you have to become handy, right? Right. And they're not your like tech nerds, I guess, right? Like think about your average tech meetup, you know, in Silicon Valley, there is like no overlap with your normal real estate handyman, you know, the person who's drawn to wanting to go fix some stuff to maybe get off the ground to then start building. Right. And so because of that, these worlds have kind of siloed for so long. And now I think people are just realizing the opportunity is so great. You're really seeing the venture money flooding in. You know, I think we've raised $50 million or something, you know, that nobody was raising that kind of money five, 10 years ago for a real estate tech play like we are. And we're not the only ones. There's tons of people out there who are doing similar stuff now. And so it's, I think it's a super exciting time to see 
you know, this happened in other industries, retail, advertising, entertainment. You kind of see real estate slotting there next. And then what you'd expect to see coming forward is more standardization in the industry. I would expect to actually see equity continue to increase. So I think valuations of real estate, I'm on my own on this one, but I think valuations are still not at their peak, you know, driven in part by this huge tech adoption. What then that starts to lead to is hedge funds and institutions entering the field because now there's this real kind of standard way they can put money in. Mm. They don't need the same returns everybody else, you know, the average guy does. So girl. Yeah. So I, you know, I know it's kind of long-winded, but I see this tech shift is then leading to more money at big mass entering real estate, which then should continue to kind of increase the tide for everyone. Sure. Are you seeing from your company any larger investors, institutional investors or players like that that are using your technology? Because it sounds like, you know, this is great for every individual, but someone who has, like you mentioned, like a portfolio of, you know, 10 or 100 single families, that's very difficult to scale that and to properly manage. We see both. So the company actually, our mandate is really helping. We think of ourselves as being like Robin Hood for investing. So our average client, I think, owns two single family homes, right? So it's, it is very much a long tail that we're after here, but we are more and more seeing funds and institutions and all sorts of different people, partially because the multifamily space has become so competitive. I mean, the margins are so tight. Yeah. And if you look at the margins on single-family homes and kind of smaller units, they're not as tight as maybe that. Yeah. Well, it depends where. I mean, obviously the markets depend on that, but. Yeah. I mean, no question, right? It's it's a very broad statement, but I I think you can find, I think there's more deals to be had out there on smaller stuff than there is on bigger stuff. That's just my opinion. I, you know. Sure. Are you still personally invested in multifamily and those type of properties? I am. Yeah. We've invested passively in some syndicators. And then we've also invested ourselves. I think the largest property we own, we don't really own big multifamily. So the stuff we own, I think caps at like 15 units. So I don't know if you'd call that multifamily or not. It's a little smaller. That's just been our bread and butter. But yeah, I still believe in it. I think with the right operator and the right technology, you can make money on the moon. (laughs) You know, And so I think that continues today. I've seen some investors, we've sent some, some opportunities to and they'd come back to me and said, Chad, I don't know if this is a good time to invest in real estate. And I say like, look, for the right opportunity, every day is the right time to invest in real estate, right? I mean, I sent something out today to actually one of our employees and it was a, an opportunity to buy this house. It's off market, single family home in Pittsburgh and price points 45K, needs about $7,000 and the house is worth hundred grand all day. Mm-hmm. Look, I don't care if the interest rate's 25%, that's a good deal, right? Like, you know, like it doesn't matter, you know, take out inflation and take out the economy and take out all these different things that are going on in the world. Right. You know, you're able to pick up 30K in equity. You should do that and you should do it right now and then figure yeah. out how to, you know, meander along, you know, what you do with it. But that's a good deal. So that, that's how I kind of think about where we are in the kind of the market cycle of real estate. That's a great point. But I think the challenge, getting back to my earlier point, is that it's very difficult to scale, right? I think that's been the challenge of single family and smaller uh, multifamily investing for a lot of people. Yep. Like we've discussed that on the podcast here, is I mean, property management is probably the biggest challenge in that. And so if you can 
you know, streamline those processes and have technology kind of take over a lot of that, like you said, logistics of property management, right? Yeah, I have a hundred properties, but I have to, you know, drive two hours from one, you know, to the other to change some toilets or to make sure I, you know, bring whatever, even logistics in terms of supplies. You know, if I have a maintenance person, I have to have a maintenance person for every single one. But if you have this kind of in-house, it seems like, you know, it's doable. Yeah, yeah, I think that's right. I think one of our, I actually invested in a uh, syndication partially just to, to learn what they're doing, but it was some guys who are basically syndicating and all they're doing is buying single family homes, which is a very different paradigm. You know, normally syndicators go out and buy a, you know, 50 unit, 100 unit building. They were kind of one of the first ones I saw that were saying, no, let's actually raise money towards basically a blind pool of single family homes that, right. And I really like the strategy that they're doing great, but they're just a like a, a fund of some the, kind on the radar of what is a you know huge monumental shift that should be coming over the next few years of people looking to do scaled plays in sure. single family. I'm telling you, it's going to increase the price point of these properties because at scale, the same reason why multifamily trades for a cap rate of depending on where you are in the country, three to five percent, probably reasonable, three to six maybe now, you know. If you can actually do single family homes at scale, you'd expect to see that cap rate also be like in the four to right. you know, 6% range, which is not where it is today. Right. Today it sits, you know, much more in the kind of six to seven range or so. Or even higher. I mean, right. obviously depending exactly. on exactly. Right. There's properties that are yeah. you know, 10 to 12 in the right neighborhood. So exactly. It just drives the value, but that's really interesting. Kind of really shift on how you view that space entirely. Because I've always looked at single families. I know my parents invest in single families. They're just like, you know, you hand it off to a property manager and, you know, they take a huge cut and you're really not seeing much cash flow whatsoever. But if you can scale that, then the cash flow really, you know, follows suit. Yeah, for sure. And when it becomes predictable with all the other benefits we all know that come from real estate of tax benefits and, and obviously the equity build, and then the last thing I'll say here is what's really interesting about that, the scale single-family home, single home play has to actually two exits on the far side of this, really three exits. You could sell the whole portfolio, right? So let's say you amass mm. 30 single-family homes. You could at some point sell them together in bulk. You could sell one to an investor, or you could actually sell them off as residences if the real estate market has changed in a way where someone will pay for that as a you know, standalone home to live in more than what they would pay as an investor. Mm-hmm. You know, whereas on the big multifamily side, you were very much beholden to the, you know, large institution or syndicator coming along and, and also very much driven by oftentimes interest rates, since it's such a big drive of how those things get valued. 100%. What, you know, one piece of advice would you give to someone who's like you're talking to these, you mentioned the Silicon Valley folks. And it's really interesting. We find a ton of people in Silicon Valley, these tech companies, and they're making a large amount, right? They're making high six figures in often cases. And they want to put that, they hear about real estate investing. They want to put it towards real estate. A lot of them are investing passively in syndications and things like that, but others are investing in you know, in their own, you know, buy a single family here, single family there, you know, how would you speak to them to kind of show them, you know, what's the right way to do it? Yeah. You know what? I think where the start is step one, which is let's say you've made some money in tech. What got you to where you are is understanding technology, understanding where the world's headed to, believing in that. I think the natural step is to find either companies 
or people who can coach you who have a similar mindset. Because you're naturally going to get a, you know, you're going to see eye to eye with someone who is bought into the same kind of concepts you are. And you're going to start to see that investing in real estate through a tech lens, it's going to make a lot of sense to someone with a kind of a tech background. So I think that's, you know, that's where I would say you start is, right. look, you can also go on Bigger Pockets. That's a great resource, whether it's their podcast or a podcast like your own. I also just started to consume a lot of content on real estate, specifically to make sure I knew the verbiage. That was a tricky part for me was I wanted to make sure that, you know, when someone, because real estate has its own verbiage, it's its own language, no different than being in a foreign country. And so I wanted to, it was like, first step was start to understand the verbiage so I can make some conversations. Then it was acquire one single family home. I felt like that was a big step for me. When I bought one house, my whole life changed. All of a sudden now I was looking at reporting and I had been through one sales cycle and you know, and so I think sometimes people overanalyze stuff to the extreme, especially very detailed analytical people. And it's like, man, just like you're not going to become a millionaire on one property, and you're also not going to go bankrupt. Just buy a B class single family home. You know, and by the way, in some markets that costs a hundred grand, one hundred twenty thousand dollars, which means your initial investment does not have to be anything crazy. You could two people could partner together, each bring to the table twelve grand. And now you guys own a single family home together. Yeah. And what a great way to get into this world of figuring out what the heck's going on. And, you know, and then you can go from there. Maybe you realize you like it, maybe you don't like it, et cetera. So it sounds, I mean, listen, I'm usually leaning more towards and, and have been for uh last several years into the commercial space, into the multifamily and self-storage and those type of asset classes, which are much more resilient, as we've seen over the years in terms of inflation, in terms of recession and these kind of things. But I mean, you're selling me, Chad, you're a great salesman. (laughs) (laughs) And by the way, some of the things you think about like cost seg, which obviously you are big in that space, you know, a three unit building, we're going to see more people doing cost segregation studies on smaller properties in the future as well, because you can get some of the same tax savings out of these properties when clumped together and actually performs a lot like a multifamily building. So yeah. Correct. That's right. No, I agree with you. And we've actually started to see that. I've seen that myself in, in many occasions. People, you know, buying a group of properties together and, you know, lumping it together. Maybe they're even your clients. Who knows? Yeah. You know, and doing the costing on them. Chad, I want to transition now to what we call the final four. These are four questions I ask all my guests. First question to you is what is the worst job that you ever had? Yeah. It's interesting. I started thinking about through my the jobs I've had. And, you know, I was a golf caddy. I actually cut grass. So I had my own like grass cutting company. I'm kind of an entrepreneur, you know, day one. But actually those jobs were not the worst. I gained things out of all of those. The only job I ever had where I felt like I learned nothing other than this is not for me is I worked for, I won't say the name, I worked for a government consulting company as an intern. And, you know, I think what got me was it was just the opposite mindset I have. It was pure nine to five. I mean, literally at 901, people were scurrying in the door. At 459, they were out of there and, you know, complaining about the traffic of DC. And, you know, the job growth was you work here four years and you get promoted from level I to level G. And they're like, do you think you could be a level G someday? And I was like, no. Like, like I could not be a level G, like, you know, and then you would go from G to D, you know, all these levels and they're all based on tenure and it wasn't the right culture for me. I was also working with the government, which is like even a bigger problem. 
because those guys are so standard and slow. And so it was just, I think it was a good lesson. I was there for three months. It really taught me, you know, sometimes teaching you what you hate in this world or what you don't like is important. And look, there's a lot of, there's a lot of jobs out there that fit that mold. And so I was pretty quick to realize that wasn't for me. So that was, that was really bad. It was a really long three months, actually. I'll never forget it. That sounds like it. It's like torture for an entrepreneur, you know? (laughs) <laughs> yeah, no, it was, I mean, it's like literally going to jail. There could not have been anything worse. They paid me well, and I had no money as a college kid. So that was really nice of them. But uh, yeah, nothing fun about that. But again, like you said, you have to learn what you don't like and what you shouldn't be doing. So yeah, it's, it's always important. an important lesson. What's yeah. a book that you've read that's given you a paradigm shift? Yeah, so the book's called The Long Tail. I believe the author, I want to say Chris Anderson. It's a very famous book. Came out maybe 10, 15 years ago. But I'll tell you, it's still resonates today. The whole point of the long tail is how technology has allowed value to be created in smaller increments. So the music store made all their money on the big hits that came out and they would sell those hits because the music store was limited. They only had a catalog of what could fit physically in that you know mm-hmm. store. Maybe the store is 500 square feet or whatever, 200 square feet, right? So they're limited. So they have to make their money on the big hits. And then what happened was whether that that be Apple or Netflix or all these different technologies that have come out and said, no, we can actually make money from the long tail. All these things that we can put into the technology store, if you will, and allow us to do things in different ways. And now actually, you know, it'd be a a whole economy around smaller bite-sized demand items. If you haven't read it, I'd highly recommend reading it. And as I think about real estate, think about our company, it's all about the long tail. It's about servicing the guy who's got three, five, 10 units, but in scale, in the one unit, right? But all over the country in mass together makes up for actually a really big ecosystem. That's awesome. That sounds like a very interesting book. We'll make sure we put that in the show notes, everyone. Welcome to check that out and add them to my book list there as well. Third question, what's... It's an easy read, 200 pages. Yeah. yeah. Okay, well, it's, it's, gonna, read on, it's, it's on the list. Yeah. All right. <laughs> We'll get to it one day, hopefully. Third question, what's a skill or talent that you'd like to learn? Yeah, yeah. So I've got two answers. The first is, we were talking about this earlier, we've merged our company with a company that has a lot of folks who are from Israel. They speak Hebrew. They now speak Hebrew around me when they're arguing, and I don't know what they're saying, which is very frustrating. So learning Hebrew has become interesting to me, even just some bits and pieces. But I would say the bigger item that I'm interested in really kind of thinking through my head is how to continue to evolve my own personal goals on a more rapid basis. And so what I mean by that is I think, like I'm really into goals. And I think when I, you know, a lot of my goals are very big in nature, they're long reaching, but when I look at what's going on in real estate right now, the economy and everything else going on, things are shifting so fast that it's important to have these long-standing goals. I also think it's like really important to kind of iterate through those goals and be kind of recalculating of what do I want my life to look like right now in three months and in six months? And where should I be spending my time with all the different things I could be chasing? And I don't know if it's a skill or just something that I've been thinking a lot about, but it's kind of top of my mind is like, where do I want to spend my time? I think it's interesting and, and almost a bit of a shift of mindset. Most people kind of just go to their job and they do their this and that. They don't really think about like, what do I want to spend time on? What's meaningful to me moving forward? Right. Absolutely. You know, hope you're able to conquer both of those. I mean, the Hebrew one is <laughs> is challenging, yeah. but you just have to immerse yourself. I mean, that's with any language, maybe a little difficult, but it can be done. Yeah, yeah. Fourth and final question, what does success mean to you? Man, it's such a good question. You know, I think success 
is challenging yourself to achieve the utmost of your own potential against the thing that's most important to you. I think both parts of that are important. So I think, what's it? Uh, I think Prefontaine has this quote, to sacrifice the gift. It's not sacrificing the gift. I script things that quote, but uh, his point, you know, Prefontaine was one of the most famous runners and he was all about achieving absolutely every little ounce you could out of what you're capable of doing every day. And I think that's true, matched with the thing you're most passionate about. You know, doing the absolute best you can at that consulting job I had would have been a disaster, right? Right. You know, so I think that's success. And I think what that looks like is different for everybody. I mean, what success looks like for my wife is drastically different than myself. I don't think it's done in, in terms of money. I don't think it's done in terms of time that you bring back to yourself. It's, right. I think it just changes for everybody and different people have different passions. But I think it's, that's what I really push by with our teammates here in our company is I ask them like, what are you passionate about? And by golly, let's take that and let's try to find that in this company and allow you to go run and run as hard as you can and get the most out of what you you know can give this earth. That's awesome. I love that. Wow, Chad, it's been a true pleasure. Finally, where can our listeners find you or reach out to you? Yeah, so... Let's see. I mean, probably the best way is just is email. So it's just chad at home365.co. I'm also on Instagram as real estate hackers. I'm not on Instagram nearly as much as I should, but it's, it's a cool uh, real estate hackers. Okay. I like that name. That's the Instagram. And then, uh, yeah, but email chad at home365.co is probably the easiest way to reach me. All right. Well, sounds good, Chad. We will put all that in the show notes. And again, this has been really enlightening. I'm so glad we got the chance to catch up and learn more about what you're doing and and all this amazing technology with Home 365. So thank you again for your time. Yeah, man. It's awesome. So much fun. Thanks a lot. And to our listeners, thank you guys for listening to the end. And remember, the best advice comes only when you ask. Real quick, I have one question for you. Did you like this episode? If you did, I want to ask you a huge favor. See, the biggest thing that helps this podcast grow and that will spread this message to the whole world is that if you leave a review, a rating, and subscribe to the podcast. What that does is it basically tells the platforms that this podcast is out on is that you like my stuff and I'm doing something right. So take a few seconds out of your day, hit that subscribe button, leave a rating review. I would be extremely grateful. Also, I want to hear from you guys. So I want to hear some feedback. If you have any questions for future episodes, please find me on LinkedIn. Send me a DM, a connection request, Yona Weiss, and I'd love to hear from you.